Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ broadcasting live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them on East Independence or online at planetkianc.com. If you're enjoying the show and want to hear more or you missed it today and want to go back and hear all of the nonsense that is Wesson Walker, check us out. The WFNZ app, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts. And now it is time to go to the campus. Kona. All right, Caleb Love. We thought that he was going to be a Michigan Wolverine, but he will not. I saw last night, I think it had something to do with credits not transferring over to Michigan. So returning to North Carolina is not an option for him, apparently, but he will be looking to find another school. I remember when I was transferring, too. That is an important piece of the puzzle, but I would think as long as he had been in school that he would have the requisite credit, if that is indeed the case, to be able to transfer wherever he wants to. But uh, what do you make of this? Caleb Love still out there on the market. Yeah, I hate it for Caleb, to be honest with you, because I thought this drama was over and he could just focus on playing basketball, settling into a new environment. But that's not going to happen. And now it is exciting, at least for some of the other teams that might be looking for the late talented players in the transfer portal, which Caleb Love still clearly is very talented. We know the high upside that he does bring when the shots are falling for him. And we know just how much he can affect winning when the shots are falling, right? Like Caleb Love does possess a ton of talent this late into the transfer portal. So just if you thought you missed out on this late transfer period for him to be there again, I think schools are going to be really excited about this. I just hope he ends up finding a team where the credits are actually transfer as well. And there's no problem like that. And hopefully he can settle into a new team and actually play well this upcoming season. What are your uh, comments on this? Because I'm sure that you uh, had a lot to say or a lot of thoughts once you saw this. Yeah, no, like when I saw the news, it was uh, for a content creator like myself. It made for an easy podcast to record last night. Remember, I broke the news whenever he committed to Michigan on the show. And y'all asked what I thought. And I said, he deserved Jawan Howard. That's a little strong because then I started thinking back at just how much I hate and dis- and the, the, the lack of respect I have for Jawan Howard. And, and this now uh, this offers Caleb Love a chance to go somewhere and have success and win. It's not going to happen at Michigan. It's not going to happen under Jawan Howard at Michigan. Indiana was heavily in on him. Missouri, where he is from, was heavily in on him. Schools where he could go to and have an impact. But, of course, our fan base got a little excited because there is some Tar Heel fans that want him back at UNC, and Carolina does still have three scholarships available for the upcoming year. But Matt Norlander, the host of the Eye on College Basketball podcast that Nata Edwards produces, said that's that's not an option. 
So as many people in the Tar Heel community would like to see him back in Chapel Hill, I'm not one of them. It's not on the table, and he has to find a new home for a second time. All right, so now moving on, the ACC. We had Joe Ovius on earlier this week, and he talked about the future of the ACC and this Magnificent Seven reportedly looking to see if they can get out of the grant of rights, and he said it was much ado about nothing. So let's play a little bit of sound here. Let's go Rittenberg followed up by Greg McElroy, and then we'll start to break this thing down. I don't know how many of those schools are automatic expansion candidates you would think for the Big Ten or the SEC. Those would be the two places you would want to land. I, I don't know if uh, you know Clemson and Florida State are automatic. I don't know if North Carolina uh, is an automatic addition for a league like the Big Ten. It would certainly be intriguing that they'd be available because there's a lot of alignment there for those types of schools. Miami's an interesting one. But, but, but it, I, you know, I, I think what, what, what may come of this is is a model, at least temporarily, that satisfies some of the schools that believe that they should be making more revenue on an annual basis. All right, and then let's hear from uh, Greg McElroy. We might as well just play all of the sound, and then we can well, break this down. We'll no, yeah, ahead. that's fine. Go ahead. Let's hear from Greg McElroy saying, from what he's hearing, the SEC doesn't want to expand. Talking to the people that I've talked to, I don't get the sense that the SEC is really mobilizing to expand. The Big Ten, however, would be very open to expanding, but the place that they would be most open to would be in the state of Florida. That would be advantageous to NBC, that would be advantageous to Fox, and that would also be advantageous to CBS. Those are the three media rights holders for the Big Ten. All right, so I just felt like that after we had the conversation with Ovius and we kind of said that this is much ado about nothing because of how much it's going to cost these teams to get out from under this grant of rights. And a lot of these teams don't have this much money. I mean, what do you think about it? The fact that people are still talking about this as if something uh, could happen. Yeah, I think what we're looking at is conferences not necessarily wanting to welcome Florida State aboard right now or any of the schools that might want to break away from the ACC because the SEC, they have their hands full now. Not that they wouldn't be welcoming of other big-time programs, but the SEC is kind of set. It doesn't look like the schools are going to be able to break from their agreement, the grant of rights that the ACC has. And speaking of Joe Ovius, I know he was on Ovius and Gilio, the podcast that is now on YouTube and has been for a couple of weeks. They were discussing how the language, the outburst from a Florida state or some of these teams that are looking at um, looking at breaking this grant of rights deal. The conversation isn't necessarily geared towards a school that feels like they can break from it. Right. Like you usually do this behind the scenes, because if you think about the way that Texas and Oklahoma were willing to break away from the Big 12, they were doing it all behind closed doors. And then, boom, the news just hit us across the face where this is, hey, we're meeting. It seems like everybody is trying to get you ramped up and try to scare, provide some kind of leverage against the ACC. But if Jim Phillips and everybody just kind of calls the bluff, what are they going to do if there's no there's no conference that's willing to uh, accept some of these programs, especially Florida? Florida State if they're the ones that are beating the drum as hard as anyone. So, yeah, I agree. Like, as, as far as the whole much ado about nothing, I think the ACC is going to be fine. And the grant of rights deal that lasts through 2036 is going to be upheld at least for a lot longer than what it would have been broken this year. And then we got the report that they were saying that the athletic directors came out and were saying that they were unified. And then, according to Heartland College Sports, Pat Forty was talking to sources in a Sports Illustrated article, talked to multiple ACC officials, and they said that they are not united. And ACC source told Forty, were you 
they said we're unified until someone offers a school more to go somewhere else. Everyone is going to grab it. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where this thing goes. It looks like this story is not going anywhere anytime soon. So we're going to just have to see how everything plays out. I mean, we don't want to see the ACC disintegrate in any type of way. So, man, it's just college sports. It's ever-evolving, and it seems to always be something. So looking forward to we're talking about the draft, talking about the lottery, the Hornets, and the number two pick. But there are some ACC stars in this NBA draft. And, Walker, if I had to ask you, who do you think has the best pro potential out of the ACC guys currently in the draft? Who would you say? Well, yeah, it doesn't look like there's going to be anybody drafted really in the top ten, which is unusual. For the ACC. So some of the guys that come to mind that will be drafted as high as anyone. Did Derek Lively just climb the board again? <laughs> After the beginning of the season where he looked very underwhelming. Did Derek Lively actually climb the board enough to where he was going to be the first ACC player taken in this NBA draft? At least some of the guys I'm looking at and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Traquavion Smith is not going to go higher than Derek Lively. Derek Whitehead. Kind of interesting, but I don't think he's going to go higher than Lively. Filipowski might have been that player, but he's coming back to Duke. And the defensive dominance that Lively showed in the last month, maybe two months of the season, I think is going to leave a lot of teams intrigued, especially for the switchable rim protector that can actually hold his own out there on the perimeter very well in Lively's case. Maybe it's Lively as the first ACC guy that is off of the board where Final Four for Miami, Isaiah Wong, the ACC Player of the Year, not going to be drafted ahead. You're not really looking at any – well, and maybe you think of the, the Wake Forest player. Uh, is it is it uh, Clintman yes. who, who could be taken here? What say you about the former Demon Deacon as well as maybe a Lively going up top? Well, I'm sad that he's uh, not going to be playing for the Demon <laughs> right. Deacons. That's the main thing. But uh, Derek Lively, I think, though, because towards the end of the season, we did see – start to see more of the scoring from him that we didn't see in the early part of the year. But defensively, we just saw how much he affected the game from that area. And so I think that when you talk about NBA teams, he can run. He's a rim runner. And I think that plays a lot into the way the NBA game is played right now. So I do like uh, Derek Lively as far as what he can bring. He can be that role-playing, rim-running, shot-blocking center that you're looking for in today's NBA. All right, just to give you some kind of context here, I'm looking at Sam Vecini's mock draft right now, and you can go to a bunch of them, right? Maybe we bring back mock draft melee at some point. Yes. But Derek Lively, he has going at number 10 to Dallas, who was awarded that pick after they tanked the last couple of games of the season. So pretty high, but love the fit for Dallas, who desperately needs some defense and desperately needs a big guy. The next ACC player I see going off of the board is Derek Whitehead at Houston, Number 20 being that selection, trying to find anybody else within the ACC and where they would go. It's a pretty, pretty big drop after those two guys are concerned. And so it's interesting that that's a that's a big time improvement in a roller coaster type season for what Lively gave you at Duke this past year. Yeah, and I think a guy that's a sleeper in this draft, too, when you talk about potential, Isaiah Wong. I mean, this was a guy that not just was. He was the player of the year, but he's got a lot of experience. He's been through a lot in college in that Miami program. So I feel like that he is a guy that could end up being a steal, maybe sneaking into the end of the first round, but definitely as a second round pick, I think he's a guy to look out for. So uh, this is the time of college graduations. 
And Michael Jordan sent the North Carolina graduating class a message in what they called their Jordan year since it's 2023. He just told them how proud he was of them, wished them success, all the things you would think that he would tell them. Very short message, though, by the way. But uh, what message would you want to hear from Michael Jordan? (laughs) So if I was graduating and I wanted some kind of message from Michael, I think the first thing that I go to is some kind of reach for the stars or reach for the ceiling because it's okay. the roof. Something like that. I don't know. Maybe would there be any kind of flu game that you could come up with? 704-570-9610. Feel free to message in on the Garage Door Guru text line. What kind of message you would want to hear from Michael Jordan if you were the one graduating in 2023? I think something like the ceiling is the roof I would roll with first. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know, something about the flu game being sick. That's the best I can come up with in my head right now. The message I would want to hear from him is when you guys return to your dorm rooms or when you return to your apartments, I've gotten all of your addresses and I've sent each of you five (laughs) pairs of Air Jordans. So we're uh, going creepy message. For you to be able to. No, no, there's Air (laughs) Jordans at the end of this road. I am here for it. But Fiddy, what would you want to hear from his airness if he was giving you a graduation message? F this diploma. Like instead of instead of those kids, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I was able to transfer it a little bit. Okay, I like that. All right. What are some other ones that Michael Jordan had for for some famous quotes? Did "ceiling is the roof" become the most the, the most the best I would one? Say so. I've got I've got one. I don't know. Like maybe he could send a T-shirt with Jordan crying face and saying, "Now living mm, in the real world." Yeah, something like that. I like that a lot. Maybe you know how people will decorate their caps. I think that would be good is if you had the Jordan crying face, say, after graduating college and having to spend my own money. That would be something that I think would work for a lot yeah, of people. I like that so much because it's so true, man. Once you get out of college, that real world hits you. I tell kids all the time, enjoy it while it lasts, man. It did. And there's no more playing Grand Theft Auto like Shroppy, although he's kind of doing <laughs> he's that afterwards doing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When we return on the Wes and Walker show, we're going to talk about who could be the Panthers' best position group in 2023. It may not be who you expect on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And we are back. Final hour of the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ in Charlotte FC. Major League Soccer is now in season. And the WFNZ Jack Daniels Doghouse is open for business. The Doghouse doors will open up three hours before every home match. So stop by and get ready for kickoff with some of your favorite friends. Walker, Fitty, take your pick. 
Join us for the pregame and postgame parties at the Jack Daniels Doghouse, coming to you live from the Audi Charlotte studio and brought to you by Jack Daniels, Pepsi, and powered by the Garage Door Guru text line, only from Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. So, Carolina Panthers offensive line coach James Campen was doing some talking this week. And he was showing the offensive line a lot of love, giving a lot of praise. And one of the big things he talked about was how much better they were going to be this year because they can hit the ground running with so much experience coming back. And this was a group that was definitely on the upswing as the season closed. When you talk about sacks allowed, how they were able to run the football on teams. Iki Aquanu out there, the young second-year left tackle, looking to take that next step into an NFL star this year. So what say you to the Panthers offensive line being their best position group in 2023? It seems pretty obvious to me. Who else are you going to put up there? It's not going to be the wide receiver group. Quarterback room, okay. I mean, Bryce Young, but he's still very young, so it's not a group. It's just one individual player out there. Defensively, you don't feel 100% great about the defensive line. Because you've got Derek Brown, you got Brian Burns, and then whatever your outside linebacker is coming up to rush the passer. I feel okay about the starting linebackers right now. I know you have some depth problems, but I wouldn't call that the strongest group. Who else is it going to be? I feel good or comfortable with every single position up front blocking for Bryce Young. I don't know who else you would point to, what other position group you would point to and say, that's a better overall group from top to bottom than what they're going to sport with the offensive line, especially... That you got Chandler Savala, who looks like he could be even start for one of the guys that I'm comfortable with, it being Brady Christensen or it being Austin Corbett following that injury he suffered last year. Well, I think the next run-up, in my opinion, would probably be the linebackers. When you talk about Shaq Thompson, now you add Brian Burns to the group, so I'm kind of giving a little bit of I hate it when you do that. There, I hate Mike it when Lugu, you do that. But he is a linebacker oh, now. Oh, he's That's not. But he's... Dude, by 3-4 uh, defense definition, he is an outside linebacker. He's going to rush the He's going to stand up. His hands are not going to be in the dirt anymore just because you rushed the passer. Isn't T.J. Watt considered a linebacker? I mean, is no. Is he not? It, no. Like, not for, but, yes, he he's an outside line. He's an edge rusher, right? Like, that's why I think when we talk about the position definitions – a lot of a lot of outlets will go with edge because we needed to create this new position as the game would alter. But that's fair. Like if you put Brian Burns, if you want to do that as strictly linebacker, even though he doesn't play the same position as we can agree on that. Like he doesn't play the same position as Luvu and Shaq Thompson. You're not going to have Brian Burns dropping back into. I mean, we hated it when Phil Snow would do it every once in a while. Right, but in a 34 D uh, linebackers. They have different responsibilities when you talk about the inside guys and the outside no. guys. Well, I know. Still, they're still considered linebackers, though. So, so edge like edge rusher. I mean, what? Eighty percent of the time, right? Like with the linebackers, Frankie Louvu rushes. It goes in the backfield quite a bit, and you're probably talking about fifty-fifty for him. I just think dramatically, what you're asking these guys to do is it's very different. But if you are to include Brian Burns in the linebacker group then you're probably right. If, if you are to force Brian Burns there, Shaq Thompson, Frankie Louvu, you have those three guys, then, yeah, you probably are talking about right, them being second. But by definition, though, like I said, when you talk about that defense, that is the responsibility of those linebackers is to mainly rush the passer. That doesn't mean you can't call them a linebacker. They just have different responsibilities. But regardless, the offensive line was top 15 in both pass block and run block <laughs> win rate. 
And so I think when you talk about all the guys coming back, continuity always being an important part of an offensive line. So I would go with them as well, and I think they can only get better. They will have some injuries coming into training camp in the middle of that line. So Chandler Zavala will have a chance to get some playing time early and show uh, what he can do as a young guy. So also James Camp, and he talked about Icky, and he said that he is way ahead of schedule to where he was last year. He also talked about he got into some of the nuance of what Nick uh, Icky was coming into last season when he talked about as far as what they did at NC State, how much he struggled to acclimate to some of the pro uh, pass blocking games specifically because he talked about how uh, the big thing at NC State was that they were run-oriented and jump-setting at NC State. He talked about this, and so he had to teach him how to vertical pass it. So for those who don't know, when he talks about jump-setting, that's basically getting on and latching on to the guy across from you as soon as the ball is snapped so that the defense has a hard time being able to tell if it's a run or a pass. And so I would imagine that would be when you talk about a vertical pass set, that's more of the traditional pass that you see where they're either in an up stance or with their hands in the dirt and they're kick setting to stop the defensive lineman. And he talked about how much Icky kind of struggled with that early on. And he said that he is so far ahead of where he was last season. So I think that's a great thing that you want to hear as a Panthers fan do you think he will emerge as a top three Panthers player this season? If you go top three player, Brian Burns is up there. Sure. J.C. Horn. Who else could you put up there? I, if those are the two guys that immediately come to mind, I would have put D.J. Moore, but he got traded. Bryce Young, not right now. I don't think, I mean, but easily could come in and be that guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you would put Bryce Young there right now. Yeah. I think Iki Kwanu could be that guy. I, I think Taylor Moten is the person I'd put up as it stands currently. Oh, Derek Brown is great, too. Uh, Derek Brown is the one that I was probably yeah. forgetting. So Derek Brown, based off of the year that he had, and he was able to do it from really start to finish, maybe maybe not as much Cleveland, but certainly in week two he got it going. Maybe you go Derek Brown, especially with a little bit more of a down year for Taylor. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, what I would go with. But I, I do think Taylor Moten deserves some consideration. And if Icky takes a big step up, if you also talk about just the value of the left tackle position, sure, especially for sure, a sure. right-handed QB, yeah, I think Icky does have a real shot because it's not like this guy flopped at all last season. This is an important thing. Carolina had their pick of the litter with the top three tackles and Charles Cross and Evan Neal also on the board alongside Iki Aquanu. In a way, you love it because you get to make your pick, but also it's like, whoo, man, now the odds of getting this thing wrong are hard. You know, if, if Cross and Neal are off the board, it's like, all right, well, we'll just take the best one available and vice versa. But now with Iki, it looks like you might have got that right, even when all of them were available with what he was able to do last year. I think Iki absolutely could be somebody, if he takes another step up, Plus, with the coaching of James Campen, keeping that continuity with him, I think that's a big deal. Yeah, I think we could see a big old jump from him this year. Yeah, I think so. I think when the season ends, I think he will be a top three player for the Panthers. When you talk about position value and with him making that jump and with the pass rushes and many people that think that because of Bryce Young's size, he somehow needs more protection than any other quarterback in the NFL, I think that he will. Uh, A lot of the things that Coach talked about, that he's starting to acclimate himself to in the NFL. Um, I think that's going to take his game to the next level. As I said, I talked about some of the more uh, niche type parts of his game with the run blocking as well, sometimes getting a bit high and stuff like that. But I feel like that he's going to make that jump. I thought he was the best tackle of that draft. 
uh, in my opinion. I loved a lot about his game coming in, so we'll see if he does indeed uh, do that. So Christian McCaffrey got Panthers fans a little bit fired up because they feel like that now that he's gone on to San Francisco, that he is kind of uh, downplaying his time with the Panthers and uh, maybe taking some uh, thinly veiled shots. So to uh, talk about what he said in quotes, he said, in hindsight, I firmly believe it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I say this with the utmost respect. This is a family. It's the first time I felt like even alumni just getting to know these guys. It's special. It's different. And there's a reason it's sustainable and has been for so long. The word I use now is just very proud to be a part of this organization. So we know that Christian was here during the Matt Rule era. So he definitely saw some of the dysfunction, but he was also here under the Ron Rivera regime where things were a lot more stable. But I think that was a pointed comment that he said when he talked about that it being sustainable and it has been for so long. And I think that maybe he feels like now he's in an organization. Even as I sit here with the San Francisco 49ers shirt on in the studio, I know you guys can't say that. I mean, can't see it, but um, I just feel like, to interpret what he's saying, and this could be any of the franchises that you want to talk about that have been successful for so long, but I think that maybe he felt like with the Panthers at times that there was just a little bit too much dysfunction, not a lot of direction, and I think he feels like in this organization now he kind of knows what to expect year in, year out as far as the team and moves that they're going to make, and I feel like he has trust that he's playing for a team that always thinks with being a contender in mind. What do you think about what he said? I think it was a hard time for him at Carolina. I, I think when you saw the 1,000-1,000 year, all pro, eventually led to a big old huge contract, being the richest running back in all the NFL. Big old. But after that, it was a whole lot of dysfunction under Matt Rule. Mm-hmm. He played three games in 2020. He played seven games in 2021. And then he was a part of trade conversations as soon as he signed that contract. So when you have a couple of different coaching, when you have one coaching change and then you have another coaching change where Steve Wilkes comes in as the interim and then they move on from McCaffrey right after that. Wasn't it like a week after, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it like happened right around that time. Mm-hmm. We all thought they were tanking, but McCaffrey had been in trade discussions for quite some time. I think a lot of Panthers fans wanted to trade Christian McCaffrey. It was kind of polarizing. You either loved him or you understood the contract was huge and you wanted to move off of him. I can understand if you're CMC thinking some type of way about your time here in Carolina. You had that one successful year. Well, and I should say, too, he was still very good the year prior, but the 1,000-1,000 historic season, that's certainly great that led to the contract. But I get why he feels this way, moving to an organization that is winning, that is getting to the postseason, that does have some stability with Kyle Shanahan, a mastermind of an offensive coordinator who the biggest strength of Kyle Shanahan is is creating running lanes for his running backs. It doesn't matter if you drafted somebody late. doesn't matter if you get Raheem Mostert. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a Jeff Wilson, guys that weren't huge names coming into the league. Kyle Shanahan gets his hands on Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, but McCaffrey probably is enjoying life a little bit more over with San Francisco. It's tough because I think a lot of Panthers fans liked McCaffrey, and I think they were able to split the 
man, that's a big contract. I don't think that's the best thing for this organization right yeah. now, but we love what he did. So I, I do think it's probably tough for fans to hear that. I also understand why McCaffrey feels this way, especially with Matt Rule being in charge of your organization and you being a part of trade discussions every year. Yeah, do you also think, too, though, the usage that was put on him, do you think at times he resented that, felt like maybe it took years off of his career? Because in San Francisco, you see a lot of games, he's getting 16 to 20 uh, touches. I know sometimes... Uh, me and my buddy that's a 49ers fan, we get annoyed sometimes that they don't give him the ball as much as we would like to see it. Like sometimes I'm watching games and I'm like, why are they not getting McCaffrey the ball? Why is he not in right now? And I think, too, what might play into that is maybe how his body feels at this point compared to how it's felt in previous years because he doesn't seem to get the usage for the 49ers, even though he's still effective like he did in Carolina. I think so. I think it's a great point. And it's been a problem with Carolina ever since that he was with, ever since that he took the lead back roles. Because if you look at the snap share he played for San Francisco this season, he played 68% of the offensive snaps yeah. in the 11 games that he played. He played 85% of the offensive snaps in the six games he played for Carolina. 68% for San Francisco, that's actually less than his rookie season when Jonathan Stewart was still on the roster here in Carolina. 2018, McCaffrey played 91%. Yeah. Uh, that's not all. 2019, he played 93%. And he was getting the ball a ton. Getting the ball a ton. And I remember talking with Stefania Bell about this. <laughs> Carolina <laughs> did not did not use him correctly as far as trying to put him back on the field all the time. Like, the way that the Panthers would try as much as they possibly could to bring him back on the field, even if they weren't really ready, if he wasn't really ready, it's because they leaned on him so much. They didn't have an identity outside of McCaffrey. Like, I get it. If you have somebody that good, then you want to use him. But I felt like they would at least use McCaffrey as a decoy in his earlier days. At least his rookie season. You would use him as a decoy. You could at least, in, in the short yardage situations, which, by the way, it's not like McCaffrey was great at picking up the short yardage when you had the fourth down and one calls. Hey, give the ball to your best player. That's how it works. And actually, the the, the success rate on those weren't phenomenal. And plus, when you're talking about just picking up one yard, Chuba Hubbard can do that in some of those situations. Whatever your backup running back is, is it necessarily is it necessary to give him the the second and one carries, the third and one carries? Just take, I don't know, what, 10, 15 snaps off of his plate every once in a while, and that's going to add up over the course of a year. So, yes, I do think even with McCaffrey being this competitor, you do need somebody to save you from yourself at times. That's how all NFL players are wired, or a lot of them. And I bet he is seeing a different handle on that in San Francisco than he is in what he did see in Carolina. Yeah, I would be interested to know. Send in the text, 704-570-9610. I want to know from Panthers fans, did that make you feel away? Are you upset with C-Mac? Uh, as I said, you know, and him just talking about the alums and different things, man. I mean, he sounded like he's been a 49er for nine seasons. The way, <laughs> the way those comments came across. Yeah, and and... You saw this a little bit with DJ Moore when he was traded. Part of this is just being traded. You you feel yeah. after every, you know it, it's not it's not a welcomed feeling after you did give your all after you did play more than anybody right outside of the whoever the starting quarterback was and even as we moved on from Cam Newton you had a revolving door at starting QB we didn't know who was going to suit up so when you gave all of that effort to an organization and they decide we'd rather have these picks we'd have rather have dudes that haven't even grown legs yet. <laughs> Like when you feel that way, I can understand why. All right, I feel 
I feel betrayed. DJ Moore, same thing. You know, I feel betrayed by getting traded um, for a Bryce Young in his scenario. That's just how players are going to feel sometimes. What do you think Fiddy would say if we traded him? About us after the fact. Yeah, yeah I knew it was I coming the whole time. Tried. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Able to nail it. All right, for the last flash of the day, let's get it. It's all right to be a little pity. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. Life goes on for a little pity. Why? All right, y'all skip my second flash. So I've got two things I'm going to go over here. Some news out of the tennis world as the greatest clay surface player of all time. Rafael Nadal will miss the 2023 French Open. And he floated the idea that 2024 will be his final year on the pro tour. Additionally, Nick Kyrgios will also miss the 2023 French Open. Opening the door for Novak Djokovic to win his 23rd Grand Slam title, which would break a tie with the aforementioned Nadal for the most all-time. Now to the NBA. Last night, we saw the Heat go into the Boston Garden and take game one (laughs) with a dramatic or just an impressive come-from-behind effort in the second half. Game two tonight in the Western Conference Finals. What are you guys looking for tonight's game two in Denver? Well, real quickly, you know how there will be times where I'll say something to you and then you'll just go back and think, Walker was wrong on this. Walker was right. You thought about calling me at the beach because of my Eminem takes. You felt like I was being disrespectful. (laughs) I was watching Jimmy Butler last night. I was like, I'm really really trying to put myself in the shoes of Wes. Is that why you didn't text me back? And this is it. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) And I was really trying to put myself like, okay, what is boring about his game? I really tried last night, uh-huh. and he was crossing dudes up. He was hitting faders. He was clutch. He was going for over 30. He was tipping balls in that were missed, and he was falling to the ground. Yeah. I, I can't. I just, it's it's a it's a huge disconnect. Yeah, I man. just don't see it. Yeah, I was Like, dozing. last night, was he boring? Yeah, I was dozing while I was watching. No, no, no. But, no, he's, he's a great player. He was fantastic last night. And But, like I said, it's just, I, I and I think for me, maybe, I don't know, man. You just don't get the dunks and just, like I said, the wild plays from Jimmy. He's just an effective, really, really great basketball player. Can I say that enough? Really, really great. Is Jason Tatum exciting? Yes. Yes. What, what's what's I mean, like? Because, what's the difference? Because my favorite part about his game is the shots he takes off the dribble. Tatum's threes off the dribble are disgusting. When he gives guys some of those dribble combos and shoots it. Now he doesn't have the dunks. I will give him that. The the dunks for Tatum, he's not really a body snatcher like that. But just the way he plays, the combinations of moves that he puts together, you can see the Kobe influence there. Those are the things about with with Jason Taylor that excite. I don't get Jason it. Taylor, Jason Tatum that excite. I don't get it. Don't I just can't. It, huh? I just can't. I can't get on board, man. <laughs> that one shocks me. Well, that's why you're you and I'm me. That's my opinion. That's right. <laughs> when we come back, we close this thing down. This is the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. 
all hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Living down memory lane. Going down a couple of the rap songs that I used to create. I know Wes used to produce some mad beats. I used to rap too. It would be fun for you to create some beats for us to talk over. It would be. That'd be cool if you wanted to, what, you're going to get the drum machine out? Start Man, going to get work? get back into that again. I did have an NPC, uh, I forget which model I had. It was a small one before... Uh, but I never ended up using it. But I used to make the beats on the Fruity Loops, though. And then I, I used to rap, too, now. The Fruity Loops. Bars. No, I'm sure you do. I just, I don't know if we can really rap some of those, especially <laughs> No, no, on no, the, we cannot rap. We, yeah, it would have to be much was, cleaner. But I was yeah. going to ask for some of the instrumentals instead of I some of the I original lyrics. I wish I had the time to make beats like that, man. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, because it does take a decent amount of time. Oh, yeah. Some, some would be quicker than others. But, I mean, I was the type that. I would get on it, man, and I'd be on it all day. Yeah. Eight, 10, 12 hours. How much were you sampling? Uh, You know, I did buy a couple of packs that had stuff on it. Like, I didn't get to the point where I was that advanced where I could go take something off of a real record. Uh-huh. But I would buy packs that had little samples on it and stuff like that, man, and I would I would do stuff on there. So there was one. I, I created one song to the, the Chief Rocka instrumental, and me and my buddies did that. And it was like, okay, Walker, that's pretty good. And then I hopped on another song, and again, that's when I sounded like Shock G off rhythm just a little bit. <laughs> the second song was not as good. The first one, I'll take it. But the second one, I was like, you look like MCMR Crack Humpty. Yeah. That's what I sounded like, and okay. it wasn't very good. <laughs> R.I.P. the real Shock G. Yeah, I was one of those when I rap like that, just that red man type. Like, I'm just coming at you just with ferocity and just. I could see you having some of the comedic value that red man has. You would be a skit guy. You, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you would want to create some skits. And this skits. this is a take that also went into a West. It that's did. my opinion take. But for <laughs> me, because this is what we said in the in the fishbowl, I am usually like, I think it's pretty hard to create a good skit on a rap album. I think a lot of them underwhelm because a lot of them will like have like for me. I'm not really here for it. Now, tell them what you said, though. Well, I said, I feel like there's really not that many. I feel like there's not many good skits. Yeah, you Most, said there were like two. I, I feel like, the, so the Kanye West skits, I know it's a little controversial now, but Broke Five Broke. Uh-huh. <laughs> broke Five Broke is amazing. Yeah. That was my favorite skit of all time. I just don't feel like there's a there's a bunch of good ones out there in the world. But I know you vehemently disagree. I told you off the the album, The Chronic Alone, there were three to four good skits. $20 Sack Pyramid. I mean, good Lord. There were so many. There's, There's so many. Doggy Style had good skits. There was a lot of If them. we go with the percentage, out of all the skits in the world on rap albums, uh-huh. what percentage hits? Oh, ooh, that's, that, now that's a good question. I'd probably go about, I'd probably go. We ain't got it. Yeah, say, I don't want to ride thank the you. fence. But I'm going to go 60%. 60% of skits yeah. hit? Wow. The albums that I like, I enjoyed a lot of the skits. That is that is amazing. Like when I talk about the best albums, and then what else, like what all do you consider a skit too? Like if it's straight them talking or something like that, or is it like a planned, contrived skit where they're trying to get some humor in it? I mean, I guess everything all-encompassing. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I definitely go 60%. You think over half of the skip? Yeah, so it's just like worth of, it. It's just yeah. worth it to you. Like everybody should be out yeah, here because, at least because you got a hit rate. Because it builds into the song. Uh, it leads into the song, especially when the track is fire and you got a dope skip before it. And that, like, like for instance, on Ja Rule's first album, a skip that I love that I will go out of my way to listen to was the, uh, the the 187 Baptist Church that they had right before the song he had with Memphis Bleak. And it is a hilarious skit of this unruly church where there's just all types of stuff going on. And then it leads into the track. And I always listen to that skit before I listen to that song. Um, A couple of things. 704 said Wu-Tang had the best skits. 704 said skits. broke five broke we ain't got it amazing yeah, Wu-Tang always had serious skits it was like I know. a bus oh yeah they were Method Man was <laughs> yeah they had a bus going and feed on you, and feed you oh, and feed yeah, yeah, you yeah, and feed you yeah 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 that yeah, was brutal was uh, Panther Cliff also said your boy Eminem skits were good he did have good skits the King Kniff joints we can't you know say too many of those but the King Kniff skits well. were good yeah that's what I said there were a lot of good skits but Maybe. for me the best skit album ooh, probably I would say was The Chronic um, Big Cat Dan also wrote in Walker as MC Search Third Base. Uh, <laughs> is that how it looks? That's brutal. No, no, that. no, no. You're not. Um, I'm looking at the text line. Uh, 980 number said Outcast never had a bad skit. That's what I'm saying. Outcast had good skits. Um, Casey Steve, he's saying, yeah, Wu Tang had great I'm going to make you a playlist of nothing but skits. I think Colin is telling me that he texted in. I can't see it right now. It's just not loading fast enough, I guess. Um, so we'll see. Colin. Hoggard the historian is walking in. Can you give us? Yeah, because he's from that era. $20. I can't even say the stuff they said, but they were so funny. That skit was hilarious. It is. like I'm trying to think of some of the skits and like trying to sidestep a lot of it. It's like I was trying to think of the Kanye West when I was like, wait, there's nothing that's going to be an FCC violation. I need to sidestep every single one of them. All right, we got some good inclusions there on the Garage Door Guru text line. Let's finish up with On This Day in sports history. Fitty, take us away. By the way, I thought whatever that thing was, that uh, Hoggerty shit, I thought that was the McDonald's jingle. That ba da ba ba It was close. Yeah. Okay. My fat ass over thinking about a double quarter pounder. No, I bet you are. Um, on this day in 1933, the first All-Star game is announced for July 6th at Comiskey Park. It'll be played at, as part of the Chicago's World Fair celebration and it was sponsored by the Chicago Tribune, and even all the way back in 1933, fans would pick the players. So if you could play in any all-star game, <laughs> what would it be and who would be your captain? What are you laughing about? Do you want to know? Because <laughs> it's at your expense. We can move on. Did I on. mispronounce a word? You did. What is it? Can you guess which one it was? Comiskey Park? No. That one was good. The Tribune? There you yeah, go. There That's you go. better. The first okay, time you, you said Chaboom. Awesome. Me and Colin looked at each other. We was like, uh? And then we looked at what one What did else. I say? Chaboom. Uh, like, like the city in the mountains in North Carolina, Boone. You said Chaboom. And then we all kind of looked at each other like, okay, we'll just let it ride. But it's okay, man. I make one mistake. No, y'all, I know. Y'all, make, y'all make mistakes for three hours. I say nothing. That's I not make true. a single mistake. You make all the faces of the world over there. You're like, uh. That's because I'm over here farting. <sighs> All right. <laughs> All right. What was the question? If we could play at any All Star game, with what the, would it be? 1992, my man King Griffey Jr. won it, and he would be my captain. That's a great one. He hit a smash in that. Well, game. because you want something lax. I, the MLB All Star Weekend is is a real break, and you want to hang out. Now, I guess if you're doing the home run derby, you're going to be really tired. So maybe you don't want to do the home run derby. But that would be the one. And Ken Griffey, I'll tell you this. 
Vlad Guerrero. That's somebody I would want to be mm. my captain. Okay. Huge, just a weird affinity for Vlad Guerrero. Dude batted 300 almost every single season in his MLB career and swung at everything. Like, if you swing at everything that comes across home plate and you have a 300 batting average every year, you're the man. He's like as good a low ball hitter I've ever seen. Criminal. Uh, if you want some of these weird soapboxes that I get on, criminal that he was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I was disgusted. I was disgusted with everyone voting in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and that'll do it. Vlad Guerrero, Disgust. one of the best hitters of all time. Weston Walker passing the baton off to the Kyle Bailey show alongside Smoke Ludwig. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.